have a little bit of a chat with um, Katie Anderson. She's one of our interns. And uh, yeah, it's just great. Thanks for joining us, Katie. It's nice to be able to chat with you about, um, about the intern program. Oh, thanks, Karen. I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, cool. I might actually just might start with um, a question. We've, we've actually just finished our first Zoom um, intern tutorial. Might get you to reflect first on how do you think that went? Yeah, it's been, it was really awesome. Like I really miss Berea. It, mm -hmm. it was a great chance to be able to catch up with everyone and talk yeah. about uh, how it will work and how um, we can, as a, um, as interns, be able to be supporting the pastors and supporting the church and be able to still be active in uh, our internship. And so I'm really excited to be able to still be able to do it. Yeah, awesome. So can you tell us a bit about why you actually wanted to do it? Why did you get involved in the intern program? Uh, the way I got, I've always wanted to do it, but the way I got involved was uh, I was visiting, just popping in to say hi um, yep. on Friday and uh, all the pastors were like, so you're, you're doing the internship, aren't you? And I was like, oh, I thought about it, but I just want you're doing the internship. And so, <laughs> so you didn't I, have a choice. <laughs> not really, but I've always wanted to do it. And so I was super stoked to start doing it because I love I love understanding how things work and being able to be involved in um, yeah. like the staff meetings and understanding from uh, pastoral the pastoral care team the pastoral team how mm. um, like church works and the culture behind church and yeah. uh, the deliberate decisions that you make to make church happen. I've always been really interested in it because it's such an awesome and unique culture that we have at Solis and being able to be involved in that and understand it from your perspective was super, um, yeah, super interesting and insightful for me. And so being able to do that, but also mm. have that aspect of friendship, like the pastors are really good friends of mine. And so being able to have that extra time to spend with them. Yeah. It's fun. Good. <laughs> Yeah. So you've, you've sort of just reflected on lots of the different aspects uh, um, and things you've been able to be exposed to and be part of. Um, is there something that you feel like you've learned so far in the program? Uh, yeah, I've been really um, enjoying looking at the shock absorber um, framework or theory that Stu's come up mm. with. And I think right now um, it's really apt what's been going on with all the coronavirus yeah. Um, all the changes we've had to make as a church, seeing that theory come to life. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah. And being able to see that, um, how it applies and how it works and what it means for us uh, has been really interesting and being able to understand what's happening through that perspective because of the internship. Mm, great. That's cool. And, you know, as you just mentioned, it's sort of a bit of an interesting time right now. In what ways um, are you changing and growing? What do you feel God's been teaching you through this time? Um, I think God's definitely been showing me that I need to trust him always um, mm. and that when everything seems like everything's going well and you have a plan, doesn't always is not always according to God's plan and mm. I can't always plan my life, which I do like doing. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so God's in control and he has a plan and he knows what mm. what is going to happen even before we do. And just reminding myself of that and being able to, um, yeah, put my trust completely in him through all this time of unknown, I, it's actually, I've been really 
at peace about all this, like all this turmoil, I thought I would be quite unraveled yeah. by it. But I've been trying to hold steadfast to God as my rock and knowing that he already mm. knows what's happening now and in the future. And yeah. So, yeah, that I think that reminder has really been something I've focused on. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's beautiful, Katie. Thanks for sharing that. Um, as well as being an intern, you are involved in heaps of other ministry areas and I'm sure in all of them you've had to adapt and change the way that you're doing things. Um, I just thought it might be great to hear a story of one of the things that's um, changed and, yeah, tell us about one of the things that you've been involved in. Yeah, so um, our late night is still going on and it's one of my favourite times of week of the week. Um, it mm. usually is, but even online it's still being like I've actually... I'm actually seeing my my best friends and seeing everyone and asking how they are. And it hasn't, even though it's different, it's still that same feeling of uh, family and fun and um, growing in godliness together. That has always, what it's always been like, which has been really good because Mm. yeah, it's something that I love and we've been having lots of fun and coming up with really innovative ideas to still have the crazy raucous time we usually do. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we uh, decided that there was this challenge going around on um, Facebook that uh, people were finding photos of famous paintings and recreating them. Okay. Yep. Costumes or like other props that had nothing to do with it, but made it look like it. And it was, it was very, very funny. Everyone, we did the classic, um, the the couple the farming couple with the pitchfork in the house ah uh, yep yep and there was some amazing experiences <laughs> we were all belly aching laughing and it felt like we were actually together which was yep. really did you take some photos some screenshots I'd love uh, to see yes yes we do we have some gifs we have some videos and I think Ethan's gonna put it together for well yeah at some point Look forward to seeing it. That's that's awesome. Well, thanks, Katie. Thanks for joining us. Um, It's been really lovely to to hear about your experience and your your involvement in the intern program. And I'm sure um, there is still time for people to to join. I'm sure you'd encourage others to jump in if they're keen to be involved in the intern program. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Karen. Everyone join the internship. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Good plug. Thank you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Okay. See ya. Bye. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you with reverence and confidence, knowing that you are both the creator of solar systems and also the Father who knew and loved each one of us before we were born. There is so much fear in the world around us, Lord. Fear of change and the unknown and what might be. Help us to hold fast to you and your promise that you will never abandon us, never forsake us. Give us courage to trust this promise. And while we go about the business of living in this world, in the spheres you've placed us into, we ask for discernment and we ask for wisdom to tackle the misinformation, uncertainty and unknowns that we face. With the psalmist, 
we ask you to test us and know us. There is nothing hidden from you, nothing that can take you by surprise. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you about where our hearts and souls rest, about what matters to us and where our loyalties lie. And where there are things that are displeasing to you, refine us and give us courage to submit to the refining process. We are your people, Lord, and we want to be pleasing to you. We want to be a light that shines in the darkness, that all who see us look towards the source of that light, to you. So we pray for our community groups as they navigate how to do life together in this different context of online spaces. And again, we ask for wisdom and also for grace to know how best to love and support each other. We thank you for the fact that we can continue to meet virtually and that no earthly sickness can ever stand in the way of your kingdom. We thank you for the technology that enables our virtual meetings and the privilege that it is to be able to access that. And we thank you that despite the things we don't have and can't do in this time, you remain constant and you continue to bless us in big ways and little ways. You are our good, good father. Amen. I invite you to read along in your Bible at home. We're reading Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Zariah, Please test your servants for ten days. 
give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, my friends, it's great to be with you today. And ask you a question, are you starting to feel frustrated? You're probably right to be that feel that way as this as the impact of this viral pandemic drags on, you can feel frustrated. And now the big question is this, when are we going to lift the restrictions so that we can get some sort of semblance of normal life going again? And the answer to that question is a bit tricky. Uh, it can't help but be shaped by our inner motivations. No doubt you've heard the accusations fly. Ah, oh, this one wants to lift the restrictions because they're driven by the economics. Or this one wants to keep all the restrictions in place because they're motivated by the medical arguments. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Hard to work out. Another way of thinking about our motivations is to ask where our loyalties lie. When so much of how we think and act is driven by our loyalty. So here's a question for you. Where does your loyalty lie? When the music starts to play, which tune are you going to dance to? Who calls the shots in your life? Well, this is the big question that lies behind the book of Daniel. Who rules? Who's the one in control? Who's the boss? Who calls the shots? And the book of Daniel will not only ask that question generally, it'll ask the question of each one of us. Who calls the shots in your life? Who calls the shots in my life? Well, as we're challenged to reflect upon our inner motivations and call to align ourselves with God, we do need to ask for his help to do that. So why don't we pray now that God would help us to hear his word today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your word. And so now as we, we, we start a new book of, your, of, of the Bible, we pray that you would be with us to hear your word speak to us, to have hearts that are willing to obey, ready to follow you. And Lord, we know that we will be asked the question of our inner motivation. We do pray that you would help us to change so that we might serve you all the more in all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, the question is this. Who rules? Who is the boss who calls the shots? 
And as we open the Bible, well, we get the expected answer. God rules. God's in control. But perhaps unexpectedly, God's in control even when things go bad. Have a look at verse 1 with me on the screen here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Now, these two opening verses are brutally frank. In just a few words, we hear that one nation devours another. And for the Jewish reader, this is doubly tragic because here we see Israel on the brink of extinction. This is not just any nation. This was God's special chosen nation. For generations, God had nurtured these people. 1,000 years prior to this, he had delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He had brought them into the promised land and allowed them to grow in number so they could become a great nation. There was even a time where the whole world turned to Israel for wisdom. But in recent generations, cracks had begun to show. The nation had become divided and the leadership had become evil. The northern part of Israel has already been conquered by a previous world power. And Judah and Jerusalem, even though they had a small reprieve from that, now a world power, the next world power, Babylon, has come to their doorstep. The year is 605 BC and Babylon has arrived to squeeze the life out of Jerusalem. Now, in these days of... Uh, social distancing and confinement, we might be able to imagine the Jew who's been locked up in his city. Perhaps there was a bit of panic buying when they first heard that was all happening. But sadly, the stocks of the supermarkets were not going to be renewed. They were going to be starved out. This was indeed the end of Jerusalem. So imagine what's going through their mind at this time. How could God let this happen? There is a pagan tyrant regime, stomping all over the Holy Land. Where is God? Isn't he in control? So we have a look at verse 2 again here on the screen. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. See, God is still ruling. Even when things are going horribly wrong, the Lord is the one who delivered Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. And even though this event is totally shocking, it's actually totally consistent with God's word. You see, God had warned them again and again to turn back to him. But again and again, the nation had turned away in disobedience. At the foundation of the nation, God could not have been any clearer. He said, if you obey me, you will get blessing. But conversely, if you disobey me, you will be cursed. What seemed like a disaster was actually God being true to his word. Generations had disobeyed and now they would be taken out of the land of blessing. You see, Babylonian didn't sneak up to Jerusalem while God had his back turned. Quite the opposite. It was God who enabled Babylon to take Jerusalem. Now can you imagine how this would have felt? To see Jerusalem come crashing down... This was the place where God dwelt with his people. This was the place of blessing, 
and now it's gone. There are chapters and chapters in the Bible given over to mourning this tragic event. Probably the most famous was Psalm 137 where it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. And their captors mocked Jerusalem. They say, pick up your lyres and your musical instruments and sing the praises of God for us. They couldn't. They were choking back tears. They were weeping. It's a hard thing to grasp, isn't it? To know that God is still in charge when things go wrong. I mean, do you think that God is less in charge when things go wrong? To be honest, I think you do. We all do. When relationships break down, when we lose our job because the economy is collapsing, it's just so sad and painful. And it's hard to really believe that God is in control. Friends, the Bible everywhere tells us that when empire invades a nation, when a virus spreads uncontrollably, when economies collapse, God is still in control. He rules and he can even use evil and suffering to bring about great good. Now, so much more could be said about this topic, but time won't allow it to do it today. But if you would like to find out more about this, then why not put a message in the chat at Facebook or contact us on the website. Even though we're separated, we no need to suffer in silence. Please get in touch if you need to. Well, that was the first point. God rules even when things go bad. But positively, on the flip side, God rules when things go well. Now, before we discuss this, the scene moves from Jerusalem to the, to the Babylonian court. From verse 3, we read this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6, Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So what's going on here? What we see is some crafty political manoeuvring, do we not? Babylon is shaping the clever youth of their captives. What better way to squash an uprising by taking away the ones that are the potential leaders? Take the young with the most potential and educate them to become your own leaders. And even go so far as to rename them so their very identity becomes Babylonian. Now all this sounds pretty negative for these young Jewish boys. I thought we were going to talk about the positive things you said. Have a look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. Even though we're deep in the Babylonian court, God changes the heart of the official. So he's compassionate 
and agrees to Daniel's food request, the request of eating only vegetables and drinking only water. And you know how the experiment pans out. After 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men in the royal court. And then we read on in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Isn't that amazing? Even as these young men studied pagan culture, God was giving knowledge and understanding. Ultimately, it was God who was giving the blessing. He was the one blessing the pathway of these young men, watching over the development until their wisdom and understanding became unparalleled, unmatched in all of Babylon. So we see there's no change from good times to bad times. God is in control. So we come to our last point. Because God rules, we need to live as exiles. Now this is why the stand taken by Daniel and his friends is so significant. Have a look at it again here on the screen, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, what's going on here? I mean, so far Daniel has accepted re-education and even a pagan name, but now he draws the line here with food. Well, let's rule a few things out first. There's no indication that the rejection of this food was because of a Jewish food law, you know, that, that, that the food was not kosher. Nor is there anything mentioned about the fact that the food was connected to some kind of idol worship, like the problem we find in the New Testament. Nor should we think that Daniel's stance has something to do with being a vegetarian, that that's somehow better than eating rich food. Later in the book, Daniel's going to mention that he himself did eat rich food and drank wine. So why the stand? What's going on here? Well, the point is to understand the significance of accepting the food from this table. Eating the meal would be a sign of commitment, a sign of obligation, of, of full loyalty to Babylon. You know, in today's context, it's a bit like the business lunch. You know, the business lunch, doesn't matter what you're eating. What matters is that we're sitting on the table together and we're cementing the deal finalising the business agreement. And it's at this point that Daniel says, this is the limit of my loyalty to Babylon. I'm not going to eat at your table. I'm not going to finalise the deal with you. There's a point where I need to draw the line, a point where I'll go public and say clearly, but humbly, I'm putting my lot in with the God of heaven. I serve a higher king. And it's the God of Israel. Well, all of this is a, it's a lovely story, isn't it not? Um, we have the plunging lows of Jerusalem being destroyed. We have the soaring highs of Daniel rising through the courts of Babylon, but still remaining faithful to God. But what has it got to do with us today? Well, before as we come to think about that, we need to go back and think about the two cities that are on view here, Jerusalem and Babylon. Yes, they are real places. You can find them on the map. But throughout the Bible, they actually represent something so much more. Here's a brief summary that I've made about Jerusalem and Babylon. 
Firstly, Jerusalem. Now, it's God's holy city. It's where God and his people are in relationship. It's where God's people belong. And also, it's not just physical. There's a promise of a future Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem, to which God and his people will be in perfect relationship. Okay? There's the picture of Jerusalem. Conversely, we have the city of Babylon. This is the city that was built in opposition to God. Remember the Tower of Babel, where it all began? And what were they doing there? They were making a name for themselves, setting themselves up in opposition to God, saying, you know what, God, we don't need you. We're actually quite able to run our life our own way without you. It's a place where you're set up in opposition to God. And also, as we read throughout the Bible, it's the place where God's people are when they're in exile. And so we look at Daniel. And Daniel is the model person of God. He's located in Babylon in exile, but he remains a citizen of Jerusalem by being loyal to God. And so there's lessons in Daniel's time that remain for God's people today. What's Babylon like? Babylon is much the same as as Sydney. It's a bustling city that largely ignores God. Yet God's people live as exiles and strangers in these worldly cities. That's how the Apostle describes Christians as he opens his letter in the New Testament. I've got it here on screen for you. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect. Who are they? Exiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And see, that's where the question of loyalty comes in. Christians live, or should I say, are actually in exile in Babylon. But they actually belong to a heavenly Jerusalem. Babylon is all around us. It's very real. It presses in upon us. While the heavenly Jerusalem is something that comes down the track. It's something in our future. And at times it can seem a bit vague or non-real. The challenge for the Christian is this, to declare loyalty to the right city, to commit to citizenship in the right place. Have a look at how Paul talks about citizenship from Philippians. That our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Friends, all kinds of things, all kinds of people can demand our allegiance. It could be something as simple as blokey camaraderie. It could be company loyalty. It could be staying inside the team spirit. It could be the person from whom you desperately want approval. It could be the family that has certain expectations. It could be the club you want to join. All these things demand allegiance. They're not wrong in themselves, but the trick is to know when do they start to rival loyalty to God. So we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray for wisdom, to know where to draw the line. And then we need to pray for boldness and conviction to graciously take our stand and say, I'm actually loyal to Jesus. I can't be part of this behaviour. I'm loyal to Jesus I don't agree with this type of thinking. I can go no further. Yeah. It's interesting to think, is not, that if Daniel 
and his friends did not make a stand when they were young over these seemingly small things, would they have been so convicted to make a stand later in life when the stakes were so much higher? Friends, same question for us. If we don't take a stand for God now, what makes you think you're going to stand for him later in life? When age wearies us, when prosperity seduces us, Loyalty to God is a lifelong exercise that builds strength of conviction. At some point, we will be tested. At some point, we'll need to make it plain that our ultimate loyalty is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do declare that you are indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords. You demand our total loyalty. We want that to give that to you, Lord, but so many times we know we fail. We turn from you and we're seduced by worldly Babylon. Lord, help us to be people who have our minds set upon you, set on things above, set on the heavenly Jerusalem, that city where we're going to live one day with you perfect relationship. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixon.